Hello and welcome to another episode of Women Who Sport. This is episode two of the rugby series where we're chatting to nine different international athletes from nine different countries in the rugby world. Um, episode two is with Alison Miller of Ireland. She's you know, an absolute legend on the pitch and off the pitch, so it was a real pleasure to have her on our podcast. She was so funny and so inspiring, and we hope that you love the episode too. We'd like to give a big thank you to the partners who work with our podcast and make this possible. So that is Regardless and Boob Armour. Regardless are a mouth guard company who do like custom fit mouth guards. They send you a mold that you can mold at home, send in and you get back a custom fit mouth guard. They're an absolute dream, like it's a mouth guard that I'm using at the moment and will be for the rest of the season. And yeah, I couldn't recommend them enough. And their discount code is WWS20. It'll get you 20% off their website. And then Boob Armour are an Aussie-based company that do chest guards for female athletes. They're the first of their kind. They're really lightweight guards that go inside your sports bra that can give you that confidence that you can play high-impact contact sports without having any damage to your breast tissue. So they're also an absolute like game-changer in the women's sports world, and we're so excited to be involved with them for another series. You can use Women Who Sport in capital letters for a 20% discount on their products. Usually me and Bonner do a little intro to the podcast, but Bonner is busy doing stuff with the RAF and I'm on Sevens camp at the moment. So Abby Burton, my roommate, is joining me. Only thing is, basically we didn't know how to record it in the same room, so I'm actually sitting on the bathroom floor right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Abby's in the room, which is brilliant. Um, so Abby, as lots of people know, is a rugby player. She also is on a podcast and... She's an ambassador for Loose Heads, and since it's Mental Health Awareness Week, we thought that would be a cool thing to chat about before this episode. So, Abby, do you want to tell us about the Seventh Heaven podcast and what you guys chat about? Um, and then, yeah, we'll get into about Loose Heads. Yeah, so uh, I'm currently on a podcast with Tom Mitchell, Richard de Carpentier, and Burnsy. Um, we run the Seventh Heaven podcast. Um, we just talk all things a bit of Seven's Code, really, just trying to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty, but also we we just like to talk a bit about our experiences on as being professional sevens players and what's that's what's that's like and all the fun that comes with it as well we've all got well chippy's got a thousand stories he likes to tell every single episode that we have to cut out but <laughs> he absolutely like he loves it and we all love doing it together and it's 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 a good thing to have away from rugby but still be within rugby um so yeah yeah, definitely. And as well, I think it was really cool because they wanted to chat about the women's game more and like they got you in to make that happen. And yeah, like I listen to the podcast. I love it. I think you do such a good job of it. Oh, thank you, Rona. <laughs> yeah, the um, the boys just didn't think that they were giving the women's game enough justice like on their own. Um, and I was really, really fortunate that I did some commentary with Burnsy um, at one of the Wasps games and he was like, you spoke really well we want to get you involved in the seventh heaven stuff and like super super grateful that I'm able to do that um especially in a in a pool of so many women that I got I got asked to do it so yeah it's it's super fun I'm super grateful to be able to do it yeah love it and then yeah as I said it's mental health awareness week so we thought it'd be worth chatting about loose heads um you're an ambassador for them like I'm doing a wee bit with them so I guess do you want to tell us what loose heads do and like why it's important to you to be involved in it Loose Heads is a mental health charity. It's mainly focused around the concept of speaking out and the concept of it's okay to not be okay. A lot of it is to do with trying to get men to speak about 
their mental health and what they've been through but it does it does also focus on women but the reason that I wanted to get involved with loose heads was because of I've got I've got two younger brothers who are both professional rugby players and I wanted them to know that without me saying it to them that I'm always here for you guys to speak to that I actually I am always there and I wanted to show my support for for mental health and especially men's mental health in that way that my younger brothers would have always know that I was always there for them to speak to if they're ever struggling. We come from a very proud Northern family that maybe emotions and feelings aren't really spoken about that much, but I always wanted them to know that I was always there for them. So that's kind of how and why I got involved. But the big thing that they do is around their own clothing brand to be able to get money and to be able to get straight back into the fight for trying to get people to speak out and trying to promote these tough conversations um, that really, really do need to happen, especially within rugby after you retire, which there are a lot of people who need that support. Um, and that's really what Loose Heads do. And I'm, I'm so fortunate to be involved in them. They just promote the right things and the, the right things that need to be spoken about, not just they glaze over it. They, they're really, really passionate. They're really, really passionate people there who just want to help make life a little bit easier. Yeah, totally agreed. And I thought it'd be cool if we finished on just like any tips that you might have to keep on top of your mental health and what you do to make sure you're always like on your A-game in that sense. Yeah, so how I keep on top of my mental health is I, I like to journal a lot. Even, even if you don't have a journal and it's, and it's just a notepad, it's just writing down how you feel in that day and in that moment. And it's, and it's just being at center with yourself and just knowing how you want to feel. Um, I also find as well going on, going on a walk that always allows me to check in with myself. I think the, the main message that I would want to portray and what I do is just check in with myself. It's sometimes you have to be alone to sometimes realize how you actually feel. And that can be going on a walk, journaling, reading, just even watching TV. You can just sometimes just close your eyes, take a breath and just check in with yourself, how you're actually feeling, not just physically, but but mentally, like, am I okay? And then you ask yourself again, am I okay? And honesty is the, the key thing with all of this, be honest with yourself and be, and that then allows you to be honest with people around you. Oh, such good tips and yeah thank you for sharing those for our listeners always be proud of who you are girl gotta hold your head up high don't let this moment pass you by you can be anything you believe you can be girl this world is waiting just for you so go and shine and live the truth you can be so thanks for joining us on the podcast today we wanted to start with your journey into rugby so I know that you got into rugby late so I guess were you always sporty growing up and what was it that made you get involved with rugby yeah um, I got into it quite late really and uh, come from a real sporty house here in Ireland obviously Gaelic football is a really um, popular game now I didn't grow up playing Gaelic football but my dad would have been a really well-known footballer in Ireland Gaelic footballer for leash my mom was a PE teacher, so I grew up like doing every sport. I did gymnastics, ballet, athletics, uh, hockey, volleyball. What else am I forgetting? Then I took up rugby and Gaelic football later in life. So um, 
Athletics would have been my main sport that I would have like chosen over the, all the others if there was clashes, which there often was. And um, I got into rugby. F- funnily enough, it's a, as it was a sad time, but my dad was coaching a football team and died actually on the sideline, which was really sad when I was 21. 21 yeah and he died instantaneously he was a very well-known man so it was like kind of a public view and I was there and it was a really tough time so I was going into my last year in university and I had two of the lads I was friends with were the women's rugby coaches and they had been saying for uh like years you should take up rugby like because I used to be giving them slapping them and hitting them and you know pushing them you know when you're in a sports course like you do you'd be even one like like one of the lads and they were always like You've got freakish strength, like, and you're you run like you're fast athletics. Would you not give it a go? And I always kind of was like, yeah, yeah, we'll some stage. And then it just because it was that summer, and you think something like that happens, and you realize, Jeannie, like, um, life can change like that, and things happen, and it just kind of made me think a bit differently. Like I was like, and I was looking for distraction. I went back to university, like my head was all over the place. I didn't do a tap of study, but I was like, oh, I'll go play rugby now. So I went. Um, with three of my friends, all three of us in our last year in a university when we should have been concentrating our studies, decided we'd go and take up rugby. So that was literally it. The encouragement of the two guys that coached me first and then just that happening that summer. So I got into it then in college and hadn't a clue what I was doing, but I really liked the physicality and the freedom of it. Oh, love it. And I guess as athletics, were you a sprinter? Yeah, I kind of, I was quite versatile. I did the heptathlon, so... It kind of depended on form, but I wasn't probably like 100, 200. My best event would have been the 400 hurdles because I was kind of strong, horrible events. But I, yeah, athletics would have been my, my main sport, representing Ireland at underage level. I was quite pragmatic. I knew I wasn't going to go on. I knew by my times and stuff, like they wouldn't have been where you needed to be like that. But I suppose I, I had potential. I'm glad I got into rugby at 21 because, now I didn't take it up with a club for a few years later, but um, it kind of gave me a taste of like something different when I needed it. On that, joining it a bit later, do you think that has its own benefits? Yeah, well, I th- I'm a big advocate, like definitely, well, in ways like for multilateral development in kids and children. And I also think you often see like, I, I would have played Gaelic football here and I would have seen girls, like, oh, they make a brilliant rugby player. Or, or even not even that, like you'd see them, the girls that maybe played Gaelic football and weren't very physical could run all day. I was like, oh, they would be a really good endurance athletes. And it was like they were kind of stuck in the wrong sport, but they never had the, they never, I don't know if they thought about it or they had the um, confidence to maybe go try something out. But I definitely took things from other sports, like athletics, you know, you're on your own. you got to work hard. you got to train hard. You're up against your opposition. So you're never like resting on your laurels. So you have that real work ethic to train, you know, and every day is about trying to be, be beat someone from somewhere else in Ireland or whatever it was. So I learned a lot from that. Like even stuff like gymnastics for flexibility, not getting injured. I did ballet, believe it or not. And like it does help, but I think it probably would have helped. <laughs> I probably would have been a better rugby player if I had, you know, played rugby at an underage level along with all the other sports because, I mean, I learned the game completely back to front. Like I went in, I started playing games and then learned it as I was going, as opposed to what most people do. Yeah, no, I was quite similar in that. Like we spoke about before my first cap, I 
breakdown rules are still a little bit hesitant on learning on the go I was the same yeah. I was like what oh, could I avoid this rock I'm not really sure what I'm doing it yeah oh yeah I get that I was exact same <laughs> and looking at like your early rugby career so I read an article that said that you your first trial with Linster, you didn't get in so then you you like found a trial with Connick online and and took it from there with them yeah yeah, so I played a year in college and then I didn't really think anymore about rugby. I was playing Gaelic football for Leash, which is like the county system, which is the highest level you could play. And we were quite a, a good team. So I was playing that for two years. And then I kind of was like, I, I like the idea of going back to explore the rugby. So I joined my local team, Port Leash, which would be half an hour from where I live. And we were the lowest division you could play rugby in Ireland, <laughs> like the lowest. You know, we were a development league where the referees kind of help coach you to um, because a lot of us, we weren't really sure what we were doing. So, I no, I did, like, I was scoring tries and I was physical and the coach said to me, I think you should go for Leinster tries. I think you could play, like, and um, I said, oh, okay. So I went off and I kind of been, not being a rugby head and knowing rugby or Irish rugby or clubs or anything, I didn't know any of that. Like I was ignorant to like what were the good clubs or who were the good, I didn't even know anyone. So I went up and I knew I did well because you're a sports person. So I think you kind of know deep down whether you perform well. So I still claim I think I did well in the trial, but I didn't. I got the rejection email. <laughs> Big long, you know, whatever people get. Sorry, you know, go back, good luck next year. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I just had a good instinct. I was like, no, nah, like, that's not right. Like, so uh, there was, yeah, I went up to an open trial in Connacht and it probably suited me better. Like Connacht now are a very strong women's team in Ireland, but at the time probably weren't. So like they were glad to get people from other, like I live very far away from Connacht. So it's basically like, you know where like Scotland is? It'd be kind of like going from where maybe London is that way, like in Ireland. Now Ireland is, is smaller, so it was quite a long drive to get up there. So I said I'd go up for the trials anyway. And the trials were training trials over a few weekends, which probably suit me better, like in that, if you're a bit nervous over a one day trial, it can be intimidating or it can be nerve wracking. So uh, yeah, I did really well at the trials and I came back and I kept going. And then we had our first interprovincial game against Leinster. So I was like, oh, I gotta show these guys. <laughs> why they should have picked me and I played really well and um the Irish coach was there and then I got straight into I was invited straight into Irish camp off that one game so it was a bit like and then I was in Irish camp then before that 2010 Six Nations and I was still so raw like I I had the physical ability to be able to cope and be able to maybe be in the wrong position and make up for it um because I was young and athletic but um definitely didn't like I was really raw green as they say here in Ireland you know about where I was in the game and yeah. I stayed then like it's funny because as I said Connacht is like really far away from me and uh, people in Ireland have used it as a kind of a stepping stone to to get noticed and they often then move back to their provinces but loyalty would be very important to me like really important so uh 10 11 12 years later like I still play for them you know what I mean and it's actually great because you can see like they've improved so much like and we're now we lost the last interprovincial final to Leinster but you know it would have traditionally always been Munster Leinster those two top teams in it so it's great to see and um, the improvement like when I started playing 
uh, I remember my first game, we were getting well beaten, but we scored a try and everyone was celebrating. And I was like, why, why are we all so excited? Like, we don't score tries. So that was kind of like where it's gone from now to back then. It's great to see, like. Oh, so that was my journey it. into... Um, to, to, and my sister plays for Leinster, which we played in a final against each other, which was really weird. That is pretty cool. Your rise to, to the top was pretty quick and you became some a part of some historic moments with Ireland, your first Six Nations Grand Slam in 2013, given that your first cap was in 2010. Uh, your first yeah. New Zealand, you then came fourth at the World Cup. How were those moments and being a part of a team like that? Yeah, they were great, I suppose. Um, there was girls that had uh, paved the way for Irish players before I came along and had played year in, year out and probably got a win or two or sometimes not even won a game in the Six Nations. So they had put the platform down and there was really good players like Lynn Cantwell, Joy Neville. Obviously, Joy is famous for ref refing now, you know, but she was a, like one of the best players I ever played with. Uh, if you want a Coughlin, uh, obviously need breaks. So like they were there and I think when I came in and a few other players came in, like they were sick of losing, like they were just like, and we probably came in with a bit of energy and ignorance, which is often just good. Like if you don't really, you know, you just go in there. And um, so I think like the 2013 Six Nations kind of, for a lot of people, we were complete underdogs and I don't, our union didn't even think we could win. I would say, I would say just, just, you know, from certain things that were um, said, but not in a bad way, just like, realistically but 2012 kind of laid down the foundations for us to be a cohesive team we famously um got stuck we went to play France in Pau I think was the time and we didn't fly we weren't put on a we weren't put on a direct flight to Pau we were put this, on a flight to Paris this and we had to then case, right yes Chagrin yeah. probably told you about it did he yeah. <laughs> oh, so Keith, that kind Keith, of, uh, so we ended up, oh, oh, he was so angry. Like, can you imagine Goose now? Like he was, there was like steam coming out of his ears because we got into Fran or Paris and they were meant to get a train then to Po, but because of rush hour traffic in Paris, we were stuck like on this bus, like going nowhere. So we were like, oh, all right, okay. So then we had to take an overnight train really late that night to Po. And I think we got there about three hours before the game like with no sleep or anything. And I remember I was sharing with Joy Neville and we went to bed for like a half an hour, I think. So we had breakfast. We kind of had our team meeting at the breakfast table because we didn't have any time. We all went to bed for a half an hour just to lie down and got back up. And we only lost 8-7 um, in the end, having been quite sleep deprived. So I think it was a really unifying moment for us to, to us to realize how good we were, A, and B, that it kind of made us pull together and we'd won all our games. The last game then was against England. And uh, we were with them. Like, it was the first time that we were ever competing with England up to 60 minutes. Like, we were level or something. And then just their depth took over. And But it, it kind of said to us, like, look what we can do. Like, if we... And then I think we got more support then from the union. And then that went into 2013. So, kind of led to that Grand Slam. And obviously, that Grand Slam would have led to 2014 or 15. So... I think you kind of don't have all those moments without that bit of adversity that led us there. Yeah, I think yeah. that's like really inspiring to hear that and it must have been so rewarding like being <laughs> on that journey with Ireland. 
yeah it was it was like I think sometimes when you're playing you don't really appreciate like what you've done until maybe you fully retire because you're always thinking of the next game or selection or whatever it is but um like to think like even that world cup in 2014 to, to beat New Zealand and go on to world cup semi-final I remember like coming home from that world cup thinking we'd done really poorly like like when I think logically back I was like god we got to like we put we put out the the favorites we got to the semi-final and then we barely lost like the third fourth place playoff to France who were kind of we were had come to that stage now being quite even with them we only lost by like I not count three or four points, but we could have easily been third in the world as we were fourth. But like, I think it took the 2017 World Cup for me to pr- fully appreciate how good 2014 was and, to, you know, to really go, actually, we did really well. But yeah, it was great to be part of those um, uh, moments. But I think it was just a really, when I think, like I went to a wedding recently and like <laughs> my husband was like at the table with all us and he just like, you're all mad, but I can see, why you did well like there's just such strong characters and people not afraid to call things out when things were wrong or like put you in line if if someone wasn't working hard all those kind of things like um they didn't the girls didn't take any shit like you know <laughs> if they had to be unpopular to get something done or um to make things happen they did and I think it was we probably won games we shouldn't have at times because we had like mental toughness was kind of built up through the years from those girls. But yeah, like there was great moments and, and great times. And like the disappointing from, thing for me was when I was 2014, I was like, this is going to keep going up. Like and it, did, it didn't keep going up. Obviously, that's not sport like, but, um, you know, it was it was great times, obviously. And how did the team develop? in terms of the support you got through those years? And do you think that support is kind of wavered off or just changed with the dynamics of the team? I think they're obviously getting more support now, like definitely this year, I think. Um, for us, like, it was even simple things like, you know, after Poe, there was kind of a rule brought in that we had to, if we were flying out somewhere, we had to be there like a certain amount of hours beforehand. So like, you had adequate time when you got there to do all your training and captain's run and all those things where before we'd just been landing the night before and you're getting up and um, just, you know, S&C um, kind of around the provinces. It was kind of run through the provinces, through the men's provinces. So we got um, we, we got that. Now, when I think back, it's, it's even more now. There's more support now, but um, we, we had girls willing to do I think the big thing was we had girls willing to do things themselves or like, you know, Lynn Cantwell would be going around with a ball all the time. I'm sure she just went off and like, and I did it myself. She found people to go and be like, okay, I'm going to find the best person I know at passing in London or something or wherever she was. And I'm going to work with them and, or, you know, girls going off doing work themselves. So, you know, like you don't want to have to do that, but maybe you have to do it if, if you're not professional and like I true out like I was never the usually skillful player like I'll say myself like but I Joey Carby who plays for Ireland his father would live near me and he's a really good rugby coach so I would just say hey can I come over to you and do like passing like not a great passer and like I'd go to him and I'd pass just off my own bat and um I'm lucky enough that I know one of Ireland's top sprint coaches who manages to coach 
Ireland's best sprint at the moment, Phil Healy. And I would have got on to him kind of in 2017. Be like, can you get my speed up? Like, it's really gone downhill. And I think just players were off doing those bits, like, as well as the collective training and the skill sessions that were run by the IRFU and different things like that. So it was kind of just trying to find an edge wherever you could. Yeah, no, that's so important. And you managed to balance your career with teaching. How? What problems did that kind of have naturally? And also, did you find it quite a benefit at times, especially with injuries and things as a bit of a switch off? What were the kind of yeah. problems of having to balance that dual career lifestyle? Yeah, you know, tough at times then sometimes there's pros and cons. Like I used to get slagged at work. Oh, you don't do a full week in here, like my group. <laughs> I'd come to work and I'm like, she should be gone Wednesday. Like, so you ha- I'm like, hey. And then sometimes the kids were like, were, like you know, he, I'm sure you both have done uh, Philip Doyle's and um, you know, video analysis, and you're like, oh, like you know, you're just dreading them. Like going into the classroom, I had some you know very like critical students that would be like, hey, you missed tackle, or uh, uh, you know, we got worse. really hammered by England one day. 2019 we got absolutely hammered and I walk into the school this young lad goes you were so bad you were crap like you're terrible and you're like hi morning morning <laughs> they're the day you're gonna go in with a bag over your head <laughs> yeah and uh, obviously yeah, there's great support from the kids but yeah like um so the pros are like you know it could be tough or you've had a bad game or injuries and you can go in there and you can focus on um, you know, your teaching and your career and stuff and you go into a different place with your mind, which is really important. Um, but then the other side of it is you're looking for time off and I was lucky to have support of, you know, um, employees, but like you're still kind of conscious. There's a bit of guilt there maybe that, um, or I, I found the last year was the hardest. Like I, I don't know why, but like I found there was too much going on in my head all the time. And I was like running out of the workplace, trying to get to a session. And I'd be, you know, t- I'd be in the car thinking, oh God, I didn't do this, this, this. And then you're meant to be switched on two hours later on the pitch to perform. So that was quite hard to balance that at times. It depends, I suppose, how much, how organized you were during the week to get things done early. But like there was definitely times you'd wake up on a, you know, we play, we started playing games on a Sunday, which I found was harder because like, when you play them on a Friday night, you've got Saturday and Sunday, back to work Monday. If you play on a Sunday and then you're, <laughs> you're waking up Monday and you're like, oh God, where am I going? Like, where am I? I have to go into work now. And you're like, hello. Um, so that was tough. But I think definitely to have a distraction and stuff um, and on another focus and that you're a well-rounded person can kind of help with like if you only see yourself as a rugby player and then you suddenly are performing really poorly, that can affect your, you, you know, your, your psyche or, you know, you're injured and you don't like, so it's hard because you don't obviously have that recovery time, but there was definitely pros to it and cons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can relate to a few of those. Definitely. Especially if you have <laughs> a France or Italy away on a Sunday, which they usually are. And then you fly back yeah. to school. That's a tough one. Definitely. Oh yeah, tough. And so your career wasn't without any setbacks. You returned from a double leg break. Was that comeback ever in doubt in your mind? Or did you think, nah, I've definitely got this? 
it's funny because I after 2017 World Cup, I was kind of like not sure how long more I'd play. I was like, I'll play 2018. I think that I'll leave it at 2018 and retire. Um, you know, and then so I was really enjoying 2018, and then obviously I broke my leg three minutes into the sec our second game that year. And I just there and then in the hospital and everything, I was like, oh, you were in too much pain. That it was such a pain, like it was the worst pain I've ever experienced, obviously. And I just couldn't see how you could play rugby again in those moments. So for me, it was just um then I was like definitely not going back. But I think then when I started walking and stuff, I kind of didn't want my last game to have or my last ever involvement to be like that. I was like, no, I don't want to go like this. Um, and then when I, yeah, there was huge doubts when I was along the way because um, I would have always done most of my kind of physical work, my running, my conditioning at myself because I kind of live in a part of Ireland. It's too far to drive to Dublin early in the morning. It's just not, it wouldn't work, be worth it for, you know, you're like, by the time you'd be up at the crack of dawn and, it just wouldn't, for recovery and the benefit of the training, you wouldn't get anything out of it. So it was too far from kind of a lot of places to warrant going there. Like totally the essence would be like, no, you're not doing that. So I did a lot of it myself. But so when I was recovering from the injury, you're obviously, I just started a new job and a new school. Um, I had put on a lot of weight, which you don't really realize until you, like you, you're not moving at all. So I put a lot of weight, has to try and lose that. Um, you're retraining yourself to run. Your leg is completely gone, like just faded away. Um, try to get the strength back. You're like, you're, I was 33, nearly 34. You're not like at an age where you're like, okay, I'm young enough to have a, you're kind of at a stint where I could just retire. Like I don't really need to be doing this. So there's a lot of doubts, but I think deep down, I always knew I could get back, but there was definitely times like, I remember trying to do a running session on the track um, in the university that I trained in. And like, I was just going so slow and there was a Gaelic football match on and a few people knew me and they were kind of staring at me like, Jesus, <laughs> what did she try to do there? Like, gosh, she's so unfit. And I was like, oh, mortified. And like those moments you're like, oh God. And you're, it's like, it's a conditioning session you would have done in your sleep before, like, and you're just struggling and um you know like i was had the gps on and like the thing would be like oh these were your speed scores and you're like oh my god like i would have just done them in a stride off like you know like last year would have got beaten those scores and you're like how am i ever going to get back so i think once i played my first game for for my club i only played literally 40 minutes because I, I i literally kind of was under pressure i did it in the february of the 2018 and then I played December then 2018 so I kind of usually takes a full well they say a full year but I kind of got back in around eight nine months so once I played that game I was kind of like oh yeah I really enjoyed it and I knew I was still able to play so but a lot of doubts loads of doubts but I, I was always a self-doubter like I if I could go back if I could go back and play rugby now I just wish I didn't have those doubts that I did I probably it probably made me the player I was because I never was complacent I never thought I was going to be picked um so I was always doubting my ability always like you know people go you don't think you're going to be dropped I was like yeah 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 I'm going to be dropped or I don't think I'll play and so doubts were always part of my 
psyche, regardless like of how I was playing. I could have been a man to match and I still didn't feel I was going to start the next game. So it was like that when I was like trying to get back, you know, you kind of the doubts are there, but I think that's what really pushed pushed me on then to get back and like be ready for that six stations and be even just to be able to run again, all those kind of different things. You're smiling there. You sound like me and Runa. We're the biggest doubters. We could are you Runa could have scored like seven tries and I might have stole like three lineouts in a game and actually had individual good games. We'll finish with like selections out in, in two days. This is really stressful. You know what? Like it's it's now that I'm retired and like my, my husband played rugby and you know he's like and I think it's hard at the time, isn't it? Like it's hard never to give yourself credit or to be that warrior. But when I think back I think what makes like it's probably what makes you even though it's not always welcome and you don't always welcome that feeling yeah and you just wish like I used to look at teammates and they'd be bopping around and they'd be so excited and be like yeah I can't wait like talking about like not in a cocky way but like oh when we go to the world cup like I would have never spoken yeah. like that think so. like, don't think so. <laughs> yeah I would be like and I genuinely felt that like like I would hear people go yeah like when we go to the world cup now like <laughs> I'd be like in my head going, oh my God, like, uh, I'd be like, oh, you know, if I get picked, and that was genuine. It wasn't like, you know, trying to be cool or, you know, I'm real. So when you, I think it's probably what made me, like, because you were never complacent. You're not, are you ever complacent to you then? Because you're never thinking, oh, like, I'm going to be picked. So it drives you to work hard and work hard and work hard and keep going and, uh, to get the best out of yourself. And I think it's quite common if you speak to sports people, you'd be so surprised, like the amount of people that are like that. But it definitely was a self-doubt that drove me on for the injury, even though I was having all the doubts. But they were pretty common for me, like all through my career. Like, Yeah. We could even be in like some of the club games for Lightning. Uh, we might be well in the lead. And you, there's individuals in the team that are super chill and relaxed. Like, whoa, let's just play and have fun. I'll still be like, they could come back. They still could score 10 tries and beat us. Like, it's weird, <laughs> it? And you just can't it relax. Is. Like, I, 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 I think for me, like, I was, and I suppose for me, I was least nervous then when I got onto the pitch. So, like, yeah. I nearly used to get more nervous for captain runs and training <laughs> sessions. But I said, then when I got onto the field to play the game, I... That's when I felt my most confident. In the play, let me play. I'm fine. And I, but I think that's like, I would have had those moments where you were well ahead. And I think it's just knowing anything can happen in sports. So you're kind of on your guard. But um, I think for me, then the, the easiest part of the whole thing was just playing the game. I love that. I, I, I'd often be on a bus going to a big match and I'd be, you'd be going down like, you know, like Cardiff or somewhere down the bus and you'd be looking in a coffee shop and be like, oh, what, oh, it'd be so good just to be a normal person right now <laughs> on the way to the game. Yeah. But then when you, once you get on the pitch then, you're loving every minute of it. So I just always had to remind myself that, okay, I'll feel these things on the way, but once you get on the pitch, I love every minute of it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. That's, it's so surprising to know because like having played against you and stuff, I'd never have known that confidence was something that you struggled with off the pitch like I no and I don't think I don't think anyone really knew it like I don't even think the player the 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 players I play with knew it or the coaches knew it 
because I suppose I've, I, I started every game, bar one game, I think I've all my caps. So like maybe you just presume when you look at someone and maybe that's a thing for coaches maybe to actually realise maybe they need to, I don't know, I don't know how they would do that because if you're maybe not showing, I probably didn't show any signs of it. I probably came across really confident, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I understood uh, psychology, understand like, you know, how you walk and how you talk and what you say and your positive self-talk to you to yourself um, is important the day of a game and how you look and present, show yourself in the field and not show weakness and all those kind of small things. But yeah, maybe it wasn't something that people were aware of. But uh, like, there was times like, I think I was just craving for someone to say to me like, you know, look what you can do or, you know, we back you or something, but you're not like, it's interesting, isn't it? When you think about that, because no one really knows till you tell them like, yeah uh, or like i'm retired now and but uh it's funny isn't it <laughs> when you yeah. actually think back like and like today we bet england we only bet england like not too many times in my career but famously scored a hat-trick like and i uh, i think i'm like i played obviously really well when i look back but i knocked on a really bad ball and i was talking about he was my boyfriend's time and he's like jesus i can't believe it. and i was like oh she knocked on that ball. He was like, get a grip. <laughs> you get a grip on the bad things, don't you? Again, like... If like, you there's still a tackle in the World Cup semi-final that bothers me. Like, I'd, I'd still... It's still there in my head that annoys me. Like, I'm like... You know, like, I, I don't know. I'm like, oh, just let go. But I yeah. can't. <laughs> I mean, one of those things that when you're trying to sleep at night, that might just pop into your head and you'll just have that overwhelming feel of like frustration and you can't when I missed that order. tackle in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like uh, one of my lad friends, the, like uh, the Fecker, sent me the picture of it the other day randomly. I don't know where he got it. I was like, I don't have enough nightmares about this without you sending me WhatsApp. Thank you. Now I, ha- I have let go of it now, but I actually. It sounds never, like a... I never looked back at the clip because I was like, I knew what it was, but I actually went back and watched it recently and I kind of made it, it actually made me be okay about it, you know. Like it was like I just skipped that part of the video. <laughs> so, moving on and kind of just going to touch upon Irish, Welsh, Scottish players relocating to play in England. Um, what formed your decision to stay in Ireland? In, throughout your playing career, did you have any opportunity to move overseas or to the mainland to play? Um, yeah, it's funny because on the Babas tour, someone asked me, they were like, how can you never play in England? And I was like, I suppose being involved with Sevens, um, like I went full-time at Sevens in 2014. Um, now I only did it in 27, it seemed longer, but that kept me for that period. And then... I don't really know. Like, I, I think a bit of a home bird. And I was obviously, like, I'm married to my boyfriend. I was going out. But, like, when I first, my first cap for Ireland, I think we were only going out a month or whatever. So, like, we're married now and everything. And maybe it was that. Maybe it's because you're in a relationship. I don't know. Um, I I was in, a, like, a really low division club for till about 2014. So, like, I wasn't even playing like the top division in Ireland and it was only really, and then I, we were kind of being involved with sevens. We didn't play so much club rugby then kind of when I went to the sevens in 2012, 13, 14, we were kind of 
been off playing in tournaments and stuff. And um, I I don't know, like I probably wish I had gone over at some stage. I, maybe it was like jobs you had were keeping you here or um, different things like that. But yeah, like the problem at the moment, obviously in Ireland is like we very strict like COVID rules in general about everything, like really, really strict. Um, so there is no AIL, obviously. Uh, like I was playing club last year and we, I played my last game in March and then there was a bit of a a kind of a community league where they tried to from September on just kind of you know the teams that were closer kind of have like which was going to lead into the AL in a short format from January so none of that happened um, unfortunately um, like the, the club system in Ireland is there's a huge gap from the top four to the next four. Like, and it's not good for anyone to go out and beat someone 80 nil or 100 nil, which was some of the scores from the very top teams to the bottom teams. And unfortunately, kind of what happened, everything seems to be now where all the main clubs are in Dublin, which is then not kind of, I feel, not, not that it's not promoting, that's just the way it works out. People go to the best clubs, like, you don't blame anyone for that but like there's only one AIL division club in Munster which would be a huge rugby play in Ireland like there's only one in Connacht um only I don't know how many in Ulster not too many so I think what happens then is we always had girls playing in England we always had Lynn Cantwell playing Jackie Shields um who else was playing over there now I can't think now that I'm on the spot but there was always girls that played in the premiership and played well and were very good players. And um, now I think um, players know, especially with England, getting like how good they are and setting the standard with professionals. And I say fair play to them for doing it because, you know, it ha- makes the conversation for the rest of the unions. And we can say, people would say, ah, oh, it's not fair though. And I'm like, well, look, they're paving the way and they're putting that road down for other women to try and other teams to be like, can we do this? So I think for a lot of the Irish girls, their decision to go over is try and play in the best league they can. And it's so close to us really like that they can. And I think you definitely, like I've seen the improvement of girls that are playing in it like straight away. I'm like, you know, you're a better player in every way. Saying that, like there is great girls coming through um, the IL um, too. So, you know, I'm sure the RFU don't love a load of girls going over. Like, you know, you just, I, I'm sure they don't if if they were being honest. But um, I suppose it, the AL probably was improving. And then one of the worst things to happen is COVID because what I'm afraid is in Ireland, we get loads of girls from Gaelic football because it's the most similar sport to rugby here. And the, it's really good sport. But um, because it's a more parochial sport, we did like there was a lot of Gaelic football last summer in Ireland because it was allowed to happen. So I feel like anyone, some of those young girls that are losing out now might just go back to football because there hasn't been rugby in a full year. So we're who are we missing out on? Even I just think for the Irish women's team, there could have been someone that debuted this year that you know showed their hand and played well in the club and went on to the intervention. So, uh, yeah, it's just like. You know, obviously, like watch, watching the Premiership in England, especially this year, you've got everyone playing in it because, I mean, you can go and play. Like, it's it's great that you can play where it's on a standstill here. Um, but I've kind of given a long-winded answer to why I never played. And I 
I don't know why I just didn't consider it. Maybe, um, I don't know. Like, I wish maybe I had. I, probably a regret I had that I didn't go over even to France or eat like France or England to go play. Like, but uh, don't, unless I come out of retirement, <laughs> won't be able to move. <laughs> it is tricky. Like, as a female athlete in particular, that when... So our male counterparts, that is their role and that is their job. It is a bit easy yes. to move around, whereas we have to factor in work, partners, relationships. It, not that the men don't, but work is a bit of an anchor for a lot of women that play. So oh, yeah. That moving around a, a lot harder. So it's Definitely. I think it's a, definitely like a talking point um, for unions because like the news of that new uh, rugby what do we call it? The world. What do we call it? Oh, the was, yeah, uh, world international fifteen. <laughs> yeah. So, like, obviously, that's great, but I kind of feel it's difficult as well because I definitely noticed later on in my career I was having to take more and more time off, and then people are having to make decisions about whether they're going to really try and progress in their career, and or are they going to try and be a rugby player, and then if that goes ahead like for the amateur players, how can get they get all that time off, try and work a job, and are they going to make decisions in their life that maybe affect their career, um, you know, progression and different types of careers to be able to do that. So maybe, you know, it it's trying to pave the way to make unions like professionalise uh, women, but then you're not getting the same wage like a man is getting to be professional. So it's not really a, a, like a livelihood you can survive but you're not making like money the way you would as a, a man player which is like I'm just thinking of people that were very like really intelligent people that were like I really want a career and they could be a really good rugby player but they're like I'm not going to go down that road of trying to do the rugby because I really really want to do well in my career in this whatever so it kind of it's a difficult one for uh, like even for me like I like when I was playing sevens I didn't teach I worked as a Sky Sports athlete mentor which was I loved that job it was like the best job ever and I worked one day a week going to schools but it did like affect my career for that time like you know you're further down the pay scale and all those things so um, it's trying to then find your value as well and all the stuff you've done in rugby to use them now as well without everything you're doing but it's a tricky one because um as I said, your your livelihood and what pays the bills and it's, you know, you'd love to get to a stage where it was just equal and you could see it as a profession. But for most women, it's, it's obviously, it's not a profession. It's just, um, you can be professional, can't you? But you're not on a huge wage, anyone really around the world anyway, the ones that are professional. So kind of pose a lot of questions to people, whether they want to go down that road or not and give up things, you know, different things. Yeah, like I think we can definitely relate to that. Like, I think when you are committing yourself to rugby, like you are ultimately taking like a massive like hit to your career and to your income. So it's, I guess it's, yeah, how long you can like are willing to do that for. And like, it's interesting because I teach in a school and like there's some, like I teach some characters, which like they're hilarious. Like, and they just, some of the boys be like, like, I don't understand this. Like, why did you give up rugby? to teach why are you teaching here right and I'm trying to explain to them that you don't get paid and they're like but why like why don't you get paid and I'm like 
Well, that's, I'm glad that you think that as a 14 year old boy. Good question. Like, you know, and it's good that they think like that. They're like, well, I don't understand why you don't get paid. Like, why do you not get paid? So like, that's kind of nice to think that that it's simplistic mindset, but isn't it great to think that, you know, boys like that are like, sure, why don't you get paid? Like, or, but they can't understand like why I'm teaching. They just, they literally like, you, you could still play rugby, but I'm like, I don't get paid. (laughs) So, um. It does, yeah, like you take a hit, I suppose. And I, I, I never minded taking that hit either. I didn't like, there was no one forcing me to do that. I think that's the, at the end of the day, you always have to remind yourself if you're having a bad day or you didn't feel like getting up at the crack of dawn, you're like, well, I don't actually have to do this, which is always at the back of what was back, I tried to say to myself, if I felt at any stage, like, oh, you know, you know what, I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to do it. It is a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to your final game of rugby, which was match against the USA. So, ref and the Barbarians, 34-33, absolute nail-biter. You scored a try, you got the win. And I was chatting to Helen Nelson, who was on the team with you, and I said, we're getting Ali Miller on the podcast, what should we ask her? And she said, you need to ask her about Miller's stories and her lipstick collection. (laughs) So what have we got to say about that? Oh, like I wouldn't say I'm a girly girl, but I'm kind of one of these people. I'm either in a tracksuit or then I'd be very dressed up from going somewhere. So the girls on the Irish team first started always thought it was hilarious. And if they opened my handbag, they would find seven different shades of lipstick. They're like, what? And I was like, well, that's just like in my handbag. They're all my day shades, just like, you know, light colors that you'd wear. And they were like, what? So then, yeah, I think we were going on the bus somewhere. And I think Jill obviously brought it up. Jill Burke I said like Miller has like seven lipsticks in her bag and they were like what why do you have seven like and uh, Miller's stories is literally I just talk crap <laughs> a lot <laughs> and I just I, I a bit of a storyteller I was known to tell stories and they were never really about anything like great but people used to find them entertaining <laughs> but um, I like Helen Nelson in that game to me was like completely stand out like was unbelievable I think she's an unbelievable player and a really nice girl I got really well with her but uh we did have great crack but one of the funniest things of that tour I don't know PC where this uh podcast gonna listen to this but we were in a like strip club bizarrely and uh one of the girls like we we, we stayed about it was only play um pub that was open so we were there and we didn't stay very long we all left and we went back to the hotel. And I noticed one of the girls was missing. I was like, hmm, haven't seen our Maisie around at all. <laughs> it's like four in the morning. And she had got a taxi. She got into a taxi outside this club that was right beside her hotel. I went all the way back into the city in Denver. And it was only that I kind of noticed that she was missing. But everyone, I went back into the strip club with a tracksuit bottoms on and a hoodie <laughs> looking for her. And I'd say all the American men were like, who is this American woman looking for her husband? Because I was like going around like, <laughs> looking for this girl. Going, did you see this girl with blonde hair? Or, or, and they were like, obviously they were like, what the hell? And then I, of course, being a bit of a character, I was like, this is not an equal opportunity supplier. Where are the male strippers? They're like, get her out, <laughs> get her out. But uh, that is one of my examples of my terrible stories. But um, yeah, like, Obviously, Jazz Joyce that day in the Babas was unbelievable. Like, scored like four tries, and we were down, and she scored the winning try in the corner, as she had been doing all all game. 
so that was a great experience yeah and for me I think it was really special the Babas because I think 2019 was was obviously the toughest and the worst year I ever had with Ireland um and I had actually really bad anemia that year I didn't so like I was coming back from an injury a long-term injury I was aging and I put all that how bad I was feeling down to you know oh you're coming back from a leg break you're a little bit older so when I wasn't feeling good during all the games I just said oh it's that and it was really our team doctor said to me I you're not right like you're definitely not yourself maybe get your bloods done and when I got my um bloods done I was like near hospitalization they were that low yeah I was working a full-time job and playing the six nations so like for me I kind of have regrets in that last year too because I was like operating on I'd, I'd done a what percent like really low like and um I wasn't feeling myself so kind of by the time the barbarians came I kind of re- like I'm working on it and I think it's a huge thing for female athletes I think just to be aware of that um you know, to be to get to check those bloods and don't put it down to maybe your age or coming back from an injury just to check it. And for me to get the try in the corner, I kind of felt a little bit like myself um, in that game. So it was really special for that sense as well, to, you know, kind of come back from something like that. And obviously we had a hard year in Ireland. and It was a great experience. It was really um, unusual playing with people you'd, you'd never played before. And um, I'd only ever played the USA once before that as well. So it was great to get to play again and to play with brilliant players like so it was an unbelievable experience oh no thank you for sharing all that with us like it's it's so cool to hear about your journey and and everything you've been through and achieved with Ireland like it is so inspiring and um, and just finish off we've got some quick fire cues just five oh, yeah. of them that we ask all our guests so Bonds do you want to take it away yes okay question one would you rather be able to speak to every animal or speak all the languages in the world? Oh, every animal. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> right, question I two. I if they don't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> question two, would you rather have invisibility or super strength? Now that I'm retired, invisibility. <laughs> when you were playing Maybe super strength when I was playing but now invisibility <laughs> okay question three if the toilet paper roll is really low um but not completely out do you replace it or do you leave it so do you leave that little like wee dreg for the next person or you're a good human and replace it oh that's a hard one it depends on what mood I'm in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I'm feeling energetic or not or if I'm feeling having a good day or a bad day I'll say I replace it because I'm a good person. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, question four. What is your favourite day of the week? They're all the same right now, which is really depressing. <laughs> COVID. I, someone texted me the other day going, oh, it's the weekend. I was like, they're all the same. But probably <laughs> uh, I always liked teaching. A Friday, I have a half day, finish early. And I think it's always like the excitement of the start of the weekend. So like Friday is the start of the weekend. So Friday, definitely. Okay, final question. What is your star sign? Scorpio. Scorpio. I think we've had quite a few Scorpios, you know. Oh, really? Mm. Successful star sign. 
Yeah, <laughs> must be. Must be. We make up as we go along. <laughs> right. Oh, no, thank you so much for coming on. That was brilliant. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Oh, God, no, t- no hassle at all. As I said, got hours on my hands with COVID and it's great to talk to you. And uh, best of luck with your... Um, you know, your rugby seasons and careers. Loads of long years ahead of you, which is great. Because we are doctors, lawyers, mothers, footballers, first minister, boat laureate, we're on the move. And I'm telling you, the glass ceiling's going, we're coming through. Rise up, eyes up, take the stage. Play your game, don't be afraid. You're a work of our, our Jones of our, always.